begin with a question this morning. Do you think your religion is right? Do you think your religion is right? That's an important question today in this culture. And it's a question that has the ability to freeze both believers and those who are considering Christianity. And the reason it it can do that is because there's a corollary question. Do you believe other religions are wrong? And when you word it that way, then you really get frozen. And, And there's a fear that comes in, a fear of confrontation, a fear of what would happen if I say, I believe Jesus is the truth. I believe Christianity is true. I read a poem this week that uh, is familiar to many of you. An American poet went over and spent some time in England with a friend in the early 1900s. He often went on walks with his friend, and um, upon returning to New England, wrote this poem that became his most famous poem and sent it over to his friend, sort of in a whimsical way. He thought it was playful because his friend often um, was torn when there was a, an opportunity in the woods to go in a different way. You'll recognize it immediately. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. That's just the first stanza of Robert Frost's famous poem, The Road Not Taken. And it is wonderful because we know that experience of coming to a fork in the road and which way do I go? Well, that one looks interesting. Well, that one does too. And I know if I go down this one, it will lead to other roads, and I'll never get back to this moment again. And and there's kind of a terror that comes upon us, a a subtle terror, but, ah, I'm stuck. I I don't want to choose, but I have to choose. And he looks down the, the path as long as he can until he can't see it any further. But he won't take a step in that direction because once he does, he's going down a path. He's made a choice. The road not taken. Now, Religion is one of those topics right now that is so controversial in our culture. If you want to go ahead and put that next slide up there, Rusty, we see this kind of thing everywhere. And right now, the choice before us is biblical Christianity or universalism, a postmodern version of universalism, which says all religions are equally valid. They all serve the basic same purpose, which is helping people express their spirituality, let's say. And we find a sticker like this that says, just get along. The idea of the postmodern universalism is this idea that all religions are equal, except one. They won't say it this way, but all religions are equal except one. The one exception is the religion that says all religions are equal. Because you realize that that is a religious standpoint. It, and let me give you a metaphor that's commonly used. Imagine a mountain. At the top of the mountain is heaven. And there are paths going up the different sides of the same mountain. And this particular universal view says, I'm, I have such an amazing vantage point from my religion that I can look at the whole mountain. I can see heaven. I can see the starting place. I can see all the paths all the way around it. And they all end in the same place. Do you see that's a religion? It's a religious view. And what happens is people use it to silence Christians in their witness. And they use it, but not realizing that they're using it as a religion. It's a religious viewpoint. Universalism is what it's called. And it it forces us to deal with the question of truth. And 
I came across another example of this on a blog. A man writes this, I like to think that all religions are just different sides of the same million or so sided coin. The specifics of what ancient person has what magic power according to whatever secret text is simply a distraction. Dogma in general is the real problem. Do you realize that statement is dogmatic? It is a dogma itself. It is a religious viewpoint that is saying, don't impose your religion on me, but it is imposing its religion on me when it says to not do that to him. That's the situation that we're in. We get stuck in this and we don't realize that this idea of tolerance at all costs is a question about the truth. Peter Cotterell, who's a a British historian and a a professor at the London Bible College, makes it, he says it this way, because it's really an issue of the facts. Islam says Jesus was not crucified. Christianity says he was. Only one of those two statements can be true. Judaism says Jesus was not the Messiah. Christianity says he was the Messiah. Either he was or he wasn't. Only one of those statements can be true. Hinduism says that God has numerous times incarnated himself. Christianity says he incarnated himself once and only once. Either that's right or that's wrong. Either that's true or it isn't. Either that happened or it didn't. This is the situation. It's about facts. It's not about opinions. It's not about upsetting people. It's just it either happened or it didn't. Truth can really not be relative. And we come across some difficult passages if we want to use this book as our authority. One passage is in John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a bold statement. It is a potentially divisive statement, and it's one that causes us a lot of anxiety. And in the passage we read today from Acts, we hear Peter stand up and say, there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Speaking, of course, of the name Jesus. And so it causes us a fear of conflict. We become afraid. And so we cower back. We're we're hesitant to take a path that will be labeled as narrow-minded, bigoted, um, exclusive, offensive, You know, there are a number of different slurs that people put for this. Now, we're in this season of Easter. It's why we're still wearing white. Um, Easter wasn't just one Sunday. It's a season. And this is a time when we are declaring Christ is risen. We are still in the Easter season, and we've been looking at this series of resurrection life and what it means. And one of the things that the resurrection means is we don't have to be afraid. Now, I want to look at this passage from Acts chapter 4. If you want to turn in a pew Bible, it's helpful sometimes to look at the actual text. Yeah, you can go back to that other slide. I don't want to stare at coexist on this monitor in front of me the whole time I'm preaching. No, go back, Rusty. (laughs) Acts chapter 4 is a fascinating thing. Keep in mind that Peter and John, just about, I don't know, 10 or 20 days earlier, were in an upper room that was locked. In John, in John chapter 20, it says, on the evening of that Easter day, that first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So Peter and John were locked behind doors for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of what was going to happen or what they thought was going to happen. A number of things occurred in a very short time, and we find them now standing up to the very same people that condemned Jesus and crucified him, and they're not at all afraid. So it goes from behind locked doors 
to look at verse 13 in Acts chapter 4. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, the boldness was so in their face that that the leaders were amazed. Aren't these just fishermen? Aren't these laborers? How is it that they can stand here like this without any fear? We just killed their leader. And here they are, proclaiming his name, and they're not at all afraid. Well, this is a, an interesting text. And, you know, what had happened is they went up to the temple to pray. And when this happened, there was a man there who asked for alms. And you know the story. He, Peter said, look at me. And when the man looks over to them, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth rise and walk. And instantly the man is healed. His legs are made strong. So he starts jumping and leaping and hanging on to these guys as they go into the temple. And of course, this causes a big stir because this man has been like this from the time he was born. And everybody in the temple knows him. If you've ever worked in an urban situation or maybe downtown where you work, there's a typical homeless person that stays in a typical spot. And you start to recognize him. Sometimes you even know his name. You start to know his story. All of a sudden, that man is totally healed. It causes an opportunity, and Peter gives his second major sermon, and in that sermon, up to 5,000 people now have become believers, but it ends up with him getting arrested. So he spends the night in jail, and if you're watching this AD series on Sunday nights on PBS, which is really good, actually, that's where they left off last week. So tonight, you can see how they portray what happens with them in jail, about to go before the authorities. And that's where our text picks up today and what happens. And I want to explore this text under three headings. One is relationship, one is real presence, and one is witness. Relationship, real presence, and witness to start to understand what goes on. Now in verse 8, it notes in here that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's got the presence of God in him. He's not just doing this in his own strength. He's actually acting in God's strength because he is connected to the Holy Spirit of God and empowered by him. And then in verse 13, I love how it ends, and it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the authorities recognized that this is a relationship, that they had been with Jesus before he was crucified, and they, they are now, he's speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. At 3 p.m. every day, a faithful Jew would go up to the temple for the prayers, And he was abiding in his Lord. He was going through the the normal habits. If you could say it this way, he came to church every Sunday. He was a church-going believer. He came up to the house of the Lord at the expected time to make his prayers. He was abiding in the Lord. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. And that changes how we witness to it. For whatever reason, God seems to have in my life brought me in contact with a number of atheists, agnostics, um, science-minded people in the last month. I, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard for me as a pastor to break out of the walls of the church, but it seems to be happening um, recently, and I find it amazing. I really enjoy when that happens. And I shared with this man who is a professed atheist, uh, I, I just shared some things about the Lord with him, and he told me, he said, you're a good salesman because you're smooth. And I said to him, <laughs> he's in sales, so he, he understands a good salesman. I said, I'm not, it's not that I'm a good salesman. I mean, if you want to use this metaphor, I believe in the product, and I feel like I don't have to defend his honor. The Lord will take care of that because he's alive. I don't have to defend him. I simply give witness to him. I'm just telling you who he is and what he's done in my life. That's it. You decide what you want to do with it. I don't have to close the deal. That's actually not my job. 
And, and he was taken aback by that. I believe so much in the product. I find that Jesus will defend himself because I walk with Jesus. I know him. He's alive. He does this. So what we need to do is witness to what Jesus is currently doing in us. And you seldom will argue someone into the kingdom. If you find yourself getting tense in a conversation with somebody who's not a believer, you're arguing in your own strength. You're trying to win an argument, and you cannot do that. Nobody is argued into faith. That's just not how it works. Faith comes from hearing the word, and it's an act of God. It's a gift of God. The Spirit of God has to come and change the heart. You can't change a heart, and I can't change a heart, and the best arguers out there cannot do it. So it's not about debate, although we are supposed to make a reasonable defense for the faith. But, but see, when it's a relationship, you can back off a bit. I'm not arguing and debating religion. I'm telling you about God, who, whom I know, who knows me. And that's what Peter was doing here. He's walking with the living God, and these things start happening. So it's a relationship. Now, the second thing is a real presence. I want to talk about the real presence of God. What Christianity teaches is that Jesus is actually alive, which means he is still able to act and still does act. Peter's first two sermons were given at the occasion of God initiating by doing something. God at Pentecost came in power with the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at in a few weeks, and then everybody was speaking other languages miraculously, and people could hear this. Peter saw that action of God as an opportunity to explain and point people to Jesus, and a number of people believed because of that. In this instance, he healed a man who was crippled, and now he has an opportunity to point people to Jesus. So Peter's witness was caused by two events. God does stuff in real life, in other words. And what happens is, when somebody first starts to trust the Lord, they are hypersensitive to these things. And, and testimonies will happen, and God will do stuff. But I want to caution you, if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, not to let your testimony rest on what God did back there at that retreat one time, a long time ago, and grow numb to His hand moving still today. Look for it. Learn to look for it. Those first testimonies are really important, and, and my story does not change. One of the ways that I came to trust the Lord is that He bought me two airfares, I mean, that's just how it came down. I was living in Chicago. It was 1998. I felt like the Lord was asking me to go on a mission trip with my wife. We didn't have the money to get where we had to get. We had to get from Chicago to South Carolina, and then things recovered from there. And I went, Lord, do you want me to go on this, on this trip? I'd only been a believer for a couple of years. And I get a call from a coworker saying, you won the top prize, two round-trip airfares. And I didn't even know I was entered in this contest. Really. <laughs> I was coerced to give $16 to United Way by the upper management so I could get one extra day off. And as a new engineer, I took it and paid my $16, and anyone who did that was automatically entered into this thing. And I didn't know. Top prize, Mike McDonald. It was on this board when I got back to the office. And I thought, whoa, that is not a coincidence. God has answered my prayer mightily. And he said, I pay for what I order. That's what I learned on that day. So that's then. But I can't just keep telling that story like that's who God is. That's part of my story. But what did he do this week? What did he do this month? What is he doing today in my life? I was on this sailboat a couple weeks ago with a guy um, who was in a race in St. Augustine and asked me to help on a sailboat. And I said, sure. It sounded like a fun thing. And and we're out there. And um, we go to do a race up and down the intercoastal waterway in St. Augustine. And right before the race committee boat 
counts down for our boat to start. He goes, all right, let's pull out the, the, the head sail, the big front sail. And we go to start pulling it out, and the whole mechanism jams, and we can't get the sail out. We tried three or four times, and he finally goes, sorry, guys, we're just going to have to scratch. And he calls the committee boat and says, we're heading in. And we're, we're motoring in, sort of frustrated, and he goes, Mike, what do you do? He didn't know what my job was. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he paused, and he goes, well, I'm an atheist. And I went... <laughs> Well, then I guess we, we balance each other out. And, and as we're riding in there, a weird thing happened. All of a sudden, the wind picked up from the south. It was coming out of the north. It dropped like 10 degrees and started swirling and howling. You could hear it going through the other masts in the marina. And the, it, uh, he was really grateful that we weren't still out there in the channel trying to race. We got backed in there, and, and he's got this awestruck look on his face. And I said, Captain... I think you ought to make a policy to always have a priest on your boat whenever you sail. (laughs) And it got his attention. Now, do I think that was a coincidence? No, it wasn't. Jesus is in the business not just of calming the wind and waves, but sometimes he stirs them up to get the attention of this man. And I wasn't kidding. I, I said, I'm serious. And he, he actually let me back on his boat for another race, and that's when he, that's when he told me I was a good salesman. And I thought, that's because Jesus is the one who's pursuing you, and he doesn't quite see it yet. So I want to ask you, what is God doing in your life? Part of the power of this bold witness of these guys is that they were walking with Jesus, and they saw his hand move. They were simply responding to a living God. It is about a real presence of God in our lives. It's about a relationship with him. And then finally, the third thing is this, witness. These events give opportunity. So Peter, I think this is interesting, Peter is put on trial and asked about a healing. And look what he says. It says in verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Okay, but he doesn't stop there. He goes from healing to salvation. He then says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter sees this opportunity from the healing to point people to salvation in Christ. It's not just for the man at the gate. It was for all of Israel and all people to hear this. So when these events happen, it's an opportunity to point to to Jesus as the Savior and to give a, a defense for your faith. Peter puts it this way in his epistle later, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Christianity is really unique among all the religions. It's not just another religion, because in it, God comes down to us. God himself comes, and he dies on a cross for us. He does something for us we cannot do for ourselves. And then he rises to new life and promises the same for those who trust in him. That makes it radically, radically different. So back to the coexist bumper sticker. Coexistence is fine. I like coexistence, but I'm not going to hold back from what I believe, nor do I have to go proselytizing people. I don't have to be a jerk. I don't have to force it. Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. 
I'm simply offering something. I'm not trying to force it. You take it if you want it. Here's who God is. This is good news. Decide what you want to do with it. So we can be bold in our witness because we're walking with him, and he's got a real presence in our life, but we also have a humility about ourselves. I didn't save myself. I didn't go to that cross. He did it. I'm standing here before you as a Christian because God intercepted my life. So I'm, I'm an unworthy man, and I, I simply come bold knowing that Jesus saves, but humble knowing that Jesus saves. I don't save. That posture is so helpful for us. Usually we get into debates, and like I said, debates don't win. If we would just simply be bold to lay it out there, but do so with gentleness and respect, people would stop turning away from Christianity. I think a lot of times the problem is the messenger and the way that we give the message instead of the actual content of it. I think it's helpful for us to recognize that those who say coexist are putting their religion out upon you. They're saying, you shouldn't tell me about your religion, but they've just told you about their religion. So in being fair, you say, well, I'm not going to force you to believe this, but here's what I believe. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus. Let's be bold about that because we're walking with him. Don't apologize for Jesus' truth claims, and don't minimize them either. Jesus didn't. In closing, thinking back to that Robert Frost poem, let me read to you a different word. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus said there are two paths. He invites all to go down his path. May we help invite people to go down that path as well, and do so with boldness and also with humility. Would you please pray with me? Father, I pray that you would give us a gentleness as we give witness to you. And at the same time, Lord, help us to not fall back from opportunities. I pray for each person in this room, in this church, that this week you would give us an opportunity to give glory to you and that you would fill us with your spirit. Father, for those who may be in here and haven't trusted you, I pray for the courage to invite you to come and be in their lives. I thank you for the relationship you offer. I thank you for the way that you move and work in our lives. I pray that you would open our eyes, all of us, to behold you. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and join in reciting the Nicene Creed.